0: Six years ago, Ellis Hammond's entire mission changed. He was a full-time college pastor with vision and passion, but broke. Now a full-time real estate entrepreneur, Ellis is the founder of Kingdom Real Estate Investors, the number one community for faith-driven leaders impacting the world through real estate investing. If you're a kingdom-minded real estate investor or entrepreneur seeking to advance God's kingdom outside the church walls, welcome to the Kingdom REI podcast, where Ellis interviews Christian entrepreneurs and investors focused on advancing God's kingdom through real estate investing. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back everyone to the Kingdom Real Estate Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Ellis Hammond. I've got my man, Cameron Roy. What's up, Cameron?
1: What's up, man? Um, Nothing. I was just telling you guys I'm loving. It's raining hard in Dallas and it hasn't rained in over 60 days here today. So kind of on cloud nine, even though it's uh cloudy and gloomy outside right now
0: essentially one of my business partners was actually praying for rain in texas today actually you know that 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 could be that could be that could be the answer right there that's biblical
1: man you have not because you asked not the answer
0: i'm sure there's a lot of people in texas praying for rain though there's a lot of people Uh, I'm sure the the collection of of prayers have been have been heard cameron (laughs) uh tell our for those who are just maybe first time listeners man what the show is about uh why why you love why you love the king maria podcast
1: yeah, this show is for uh, Ellis and myself to bring on awesome guests who are doing particularly great things in real estate um, with a kingdom mindset or a kingdom impact um, or a heart for bringing you know, heaven on earth in the way they do business. And so honestly, I feel like we have the best house or seat in the house just getting to listen to these wise folks we bring on.
0: I agree. I love that vision, man, heaven on earth. I mean, that is what Christ prays, right? Thy kingdom come like your kingdom come or will be done. Like there's something about the kingdom coming to earth. And and that's what we get to do as kingdom entrepreneurs is really, um it's why I hate that view of like kind of all things are burning, burn up at the end. It's like, well, what about, what about that prayer of like us as entrepreneurs? We're really called to create and usher the kingdom of God today, not just save souls, die and go to heaven. It's like, no, we're called to cultivate and create and use all that we're doing. And I think, I think a view other than that, really lessens the impact of what we as entrepreneurs get to do in building businesses and real estate and stuff so um, I really appreciate that vision Um, that's great so guys today we just have the privilege uh, and honor of speaking with a friend a colleague a fellow mastermind member uh, mr. Sam sells what's happening man
2: hey what's up guys thank you so much for having me on the pod it's
0: it's about time man long time coming
2: yeah it's been a long time coming (laughs)
0: Uh, so we're going to get into Sam's story today, and just how uh, you know what what him and his company uh, have been up to, and and they've they've done a lot of deals, and yeah, uh, uh, some probably got some really good stories uh, <laughs> as well to yeah. share. And this idea of of clean energy, and what does that mean, and clean money, and and really using real estate for an impact venture. So I'm excited for you guys to hear Sam's story and and his journey into this. But first, guys, let me just pray as as we always do, and we can jump in. So, Father in heaven, thank you again for today. And, and we just pray that uh, your spirit, the Holy Spirit, would come, would fill our lives, would fill our minds, uh, would would be present with those listening, that you would be magnified, Father. And that you would just, even as Cameron just said, that, God, you would, you would give us the vision. You would give us clarity. You would give us wisdom on how we can leverage all that we have, God, that your kingdom would come and your will will would be done on earth as it is in heaven and we lift this up to you in Jesus name amen amen thank you dude sam so what tell us a little bit about wild mountain what is wild mountain what are you guys doing today and then i want let's, and then we're going to just back up man So but, but give us kind of high level what who you are and what's happening today in your world
2: yeah thank you so while I'm on capital um is part of a kind of a conglomerate of companies that we started back in 2018 and we'll, we'll go back into, like you said, we'll, we'll rewind the tape here in, in a minute. But what are we doing right now? So we are solely focused on uh, taking highly distressed multifamily properties that have been neglected. i mean, you know, seriously neglected. So they're 60% occupied. The most we've ever bought was an 80% occupied property. Um, but you know, SWAT team was there the day we closed. So it's it's just like these these properties because we look at. Um, investment as the leverage that we can use to create uh, social change, create uh, social welfare. And so in the sense that we can go out and do good and be good and return an amazing uh, return to our investors at the same time. It is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart. It is the Difficult road. And so we name Wild Mountain Capital in the sense that we're taking a road less traveled. We're climbing the mountain, um, but we're going to get there. Does everyone in your company have to grow a beard? They do, even the women. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you guys aren't on video on our YouTube channel, uh, Sam's got a great beard. And so it goes with the, I always think his logo should not be of a mountain, but it should be of like a silhouette <laughs> or like a, of you and your beard. I think think that would actually be a stronger logo but we've <laughs> debated this i've not won the debate yet yeah <laughs>
1: you're making me feel insecure about mine sam i'll probably go shave after this podcast Cameron, you
0: literally look like a baby you know i, I mean
1: when I, I didn't think so and then a guy like sam comes on i'm like yikes that's not oh right. man <laughs> you,
2: you just see some of the partners we work with I, one of our partners it just got this massive you know it's like 18 inches of beard and uh it's awesome you know it's just awesome but you you know, it's like, maybe I'm Samson and I can't, you know, I can cut the top of my hair, but if I cut my beard, you know, I lose all my power. Yeah.
0: So I want to, we're going to, I'm going to write down some notes. You're focused on distressed assets, you know, heavy, heavy lifts. I'm curious about that. I want to come back to that though. And we'll, we'll back up a little bit just because, you know, we've talked about this, like we have different models and we we Mm -hmm. focus on different tenant bases and, you know, it's one of my investing rules that we don't go after uh what what you guys are going <laughs> after, right? So yeah. uh that that's an area that I wanna just even get wanna get I want to hear more from and even, you know, hear your, your explanation. So I'm going to write that down. We'll come back to that. And that's something that kind of a little teaser for some folks to, to hang on and, and even wait on to, to hear why Sam and his group focus on, on those type of deals. So uh, back yeah. us up, Sam, man, I want to hear just, you know, your journey into, into real estate and, you know, was this something your family was doing? Is this, you know, how, how did you become a real estate investor and especially a, a pretty heavy value add real estate investor?
2: We um, grew up poor. My brother likes to say we were mud babies from Oklahoma. If you grew up poor in rural Oklahoma, you'll know what that means because there's so many ponds. You just, we we swam in ponds and got muddy and our underwear turned red because the red clay there. And it's just like, you know, we could go on about that. And I'm sure nobody wants to hear about that stuff, but you know, it's just, it was a great childhood and I didn't know I was poor until somebody in, you know, in in school said, Hey, hey, you're poor. And you're like, Oh, what? (laughs) You know? Right. It's just this is how life is. And um, and so we we were always, you know, at the beginning we were attracted to those get rich quick schemes and, and so forth, you know, that you see all over everywhere. I'm glad I didn't grow up in the internet era. I don't know how anyone decides what is true and not true sometimes anymore because it is so compelling. But uh, real estate kept coming to us, and so we were we got into construction and and started working on homes and so flipping homes, and then I, I joined I joined the military. After I'd worked in construction for a while and was helping other people flip homes. And while I was in the military as a firefighter, I had all this extra free time and started flipping homes with a friend and then flipped homes with a partner. And that was in the early 2000s. And so really had done that, made it through the 2008 crisis just fine, uh, but still looking at high density places in town, distressed assets, uh, kind of that mentality that you see on the shows but the shows glamorize it and make it look like it's super simple. And it's nice. how, how do you,
0: how did you dealing in those kind of distressed assets still make it through the 2008 crisis just fine. You kind of like passed through like that was no big deal. Like people got <laughs> people got destroyed. Like yeah, what do people, you mean?
2: Yeah, people got destroyed and and I'll say partly it's because we just didn't have very much. Okay. But mainly because you know we were buying homes at $50,000 A piece in downtown San Antonio, and so when we flipped them, we were going to sell them for 130. The 2008 crisis happened. I mean, I had two homes for sale when Lehman Marcus fell, you know, and so those as the capital markets crashed, both of our deals fell through. They were both under contract. We're selling them both around 130 grand, and so we just backed up and said, okay, let's put it back on the market at 115 because things crazy. One of them sold right away. So yeah, we, we lost $15,000 of potential profit, right. but we only had 75 grand in the, in the house. So we still made 40 something thousand dollars off that deal in three months. Makes sense. And the other deal, you know, um, we ended up holding onto that property, turning into, into cash flow rental. I made 350 bucks a month for about 10 years on that deal and, so, until we sold it. So
0: Okay. So cool. So you left the military or you were doing this in the military that that was just kind of like your retirement after the military, right? Doing this focus and then things
2: begin to evolve. Like, like keep, keep this journey going. Yeah. So the military, I got out, got my degree, came back in, really had been drawn a long time ago. So way back when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to be a doctor and work in third world countries and help people. And so I wrote in my journal and I can share this with you guys because you're Um, because of what this podcast is, but I wrote down like, Lord, if you help me be able to practice medicine in third world countries or overseas, I'll do whatever you want. I'll dedicate my life to you or whatever. And so I realized though, as an adult that I really didn't like being uh, in hospitals (laughs) and I didn't really want to be a doctor. Uh, My mind was just very business focused, like how do we improve? How do we do more? We can do more, we can do more. So I I went and became a healthcare administrator and then got into global health, got a master's degree in global health policy, and spent years overseas um working with some of the poorest of the poor, like from Afghanistan to sub-Saharan Africa, Chad, you know, just you can take some of these places away to Nepal to, you know, Working with foreign Liberia, I, I could just list off a whole bunch of places. So what I learned, and and to bring it back to the gospel and business at the same time, is I'm sitting down, we're talking to a guy who's in charge of like six different clinics. He wasn't supporting them, wasn't providing them anything. And I'm sitting there listening to him and I'm saying a prayer in my in my mind, in my heart, and thinking, How do we get this dude to do something? six years, people have been coming and talking to him and helping Americans have been trying to get him to support his people across the region of the country that he was in charge of. And it and I got this impression, align his incentives. And so I said, Hey, you know, Dr. Whatever he, uh, if you provide more people, then that means you are have more people underneath you. That means the value of all your clinics are more, if you provide more uh, support, that means more people get treated. So now you get more people getting treated, you get more people doing work, you have more training underneath you. That's a lot more value. And that means you're a lot more important. And you're gonna be able to go to your bosses and say, I need a raise because now I'm not in charge of 50 people, I'm in charge of 250 people. And when that he just paused and he looked at me, and I was speaking through an interpreter and then i just he just kind of sits back and i just see the wheels go and it triggers right the next day the next day I, we call one of the clinics we're asking them hey you know how's it going blah blah, blah. and like you would never believe it dr sajadi called me and blah, blah 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 and it was like oh my goodness the the world changed and all of a sudden they started getting all their supplies they started getting medical training It just completely changed. And ever since then, I've thought about the government's trying to force feed people stuff and give them stuff so that they can become better. But if you want people's lives to get better, align their incentives so that they know that, you know, provide them the the keys they need or the access to the things they need, but align their incentives and they make it better. And so in a... Did that for years and years, came back, knew I couldn't go start my own charitable organization, 501c3, whatever, and go out and do medicine because that's just such an expensive endeavor. We looked at where does uh, health all come back to? And it's the home,
0: Hmm.
2: it's the family. And so we said, okay, let's back this thing up and let's focus on housing security, but in a way where we can make a lot of money for ourselves, for our investors, and do a lot of good at the same time and improve housing security situations. And if we can do that, if we can prove to people that you can make money by improving other people's lives, just like we did with Dr. Sajadi, when he figured out his incentives were aligned, the world changed. And if America's ever gonna fix the affordable housing crisis, it's not gonna be the US government. They can do policies to make it better for investors However, it's going to be private citizens. So let's do it in a way and let's make money doing it. Hmm. That's really good, man. I'm, uh, this
0: is really ask, really bringing up some good questions, too, about private versus policy or private versus government, but maybe even what policies can we support? Um, so that that's part of your why, too, then. I mean, it was seeing kind of extreme poverty uh, in a third world country, realizing, hey, there's a there's kind of a structural need um, and this is my passion is, is, I mean, folks that are in, that are in extreme poverty, right. And, and ways to really support and help them. And that's kind of, seems like that's, that's a thread throughout your story. You were, you know, red underwear, poor, you know, <laughs> you spent a lot of time in another country and, and this is,
2: it's really a passion for you. It's, it's really, it's a passion project. Um, and it has to be because, It is so difficult sometimes to take a property and change it because you're changing culture, you're changing lifestyle, you're taking governance that wasn't there, very non existence and you're changing it. And people sometimes get upset. You have to kick people out of the property because, look, you're not safe. You cannot be here. If kids can't play in the playground because of you, you have to leave. I'm sorry. And I'm sure there's some haters out there saying, no, everyone deserves a house. And they do, just not in our apartment complex. They can go someplace else. Yeah. And so it is a, it's a bit of a struggle at first. It is not pretty clean or whatever, um, but it's totally worth it.
0: Yeah. I mean, as a real estate investor, I think that's the, that's the tough thing. Like, how do you, you know, you want to be, you want to be extremely profitable, right? And yet you have this business model where it seems like maybe margins are thin, especially for folks, you know, that, that are in this level, like talk to me, how kind of creative ways you guys have worked with inside of these apartment buildings and turning homes and um, to, to do that, right. To, to become profitable uh, abundantly profitable and yet work within like a margin that is tight. I mean,
2: that's just, that's kind of the reality. Yeah, so apartments in general are tight. And when you come into a complex, it's almost, we treat it like a development project. And so we tell our investors, look, don't, you know, first year one, every dollar that comes out of that property is gonna get, it's reinvested into it, or it's just gonna be really tight because it's negative at the beginning because we're buying it at 60% occupancy, it's not even clearing debt, the people are in the hole, liens gotta get paid. Um, whatever. So the the upside is that we're buying it at a, at a significant discount. So we're generally about $1 to $2 million less um, or under the appraisal, the, the appraisal on the property when we buy. Um, I say that over the last four or so properties, that's about where we've been. Um, so there is instant equity. It's just, you're not going to turn around and sell it for that price because everyone else is going to want a discount because it's super ugly. So the first year we come in, um, let's talk about the, I'm sorry, I'll back up. How do we make it happen? How do we make the margins work? We work with nonprofits. We work with boys and girls clubs. We work with uh, lenders who will provide us a huge CapEx budget in the beginning, $2 million, $2.5 million at the beginning of the deal. Um, we have our own construction company. We have our own property management company because we have... To generate profits throughout the whole machine, or save money throughout the whole machine to generate the profits that we want to want to do. In the end, the margins are fantastic. It just takes a little while to get there. On average, Sam, in the past few deals
1: that you you've done, I don't I don't know if you've gone full cycle on any of them, but I know traditional value add deal that isn't that rough. People, you know, pitch, hey, three to five years. Here's our capex. We're going to increase value by this and, you know, start accepting offers in year three and may have to hold it till year seven. Like, what are you pitching? What are you guys anticipating? How long it takes to actually realize, you know,
2: your efforts to put that
1: property in a place where you want to sell it?
2: Great question. The smaller ones, we bought a bunch of smaller properties when we started. And so those properties are all either hitting the market soon or will hit the market relatively soon. Uh, investors far and away should be in the 30 percentile average annualized return. Some of them will be much higher than that. Some will be a little bit lower on the 20s uh, on the average annual return. Now, they didn't receive on those particular deals, most of them, not all of them, most of them did not get annualized cash flows uh, because we're only a year or two years into the deal. And it was just a big, heavy lift. We've learned over time because we've made a lot of mistakes because I didn't hire a mentor in the beginning and I should have. Um, so folks hire Ellis as your, you know, or Cameron as your coach, just saying save yourself uh, years of life and gray hairs. The, uh, you know, so we now we're buying much, much bigger deals. Um, and because we own our own construction company, we can knock out 80, 100 units in eight months get those things on the market and that's when it cash flows so when if we can do that then a year turns around and and we're in the positive and people start receiving funds
0: Mm -hmm. i'm curious on what like kpis you're tracking outside of kind of revenue kpis sam like so you have your own construction team do you guys have your own pm team too or is that property management team as well have y'all built that or is that third party still
2: no we built our own because Third party, we couldn't get any third party that would work with all the, in the nonprofit organizations, boys and girls clubs, police department, um, all the different things we, you know, I went to Jesse's, my brother, he runs a property management company. He and I went to the city council in Fort Worth and talked to the city councilor over a property we're buying in You know, to Cameron's point before, what do you tell people how long you're going to hold? Well, that one, we should cash out 90% of the equity at year three and then hold for another six or seven years because the city wants us to hold it longer than four years because they're tired of syndicators coming in, fixing a property, flipping it back and out, selling it to the new guy. And so a constant change of ownership, constant things keep going up and down, up and down, up and down. um, And it's caused a lot of issues in the city. So they're, pushing people to hold longer. And I know I didn't answer your question there, Ellis, but. No,
0: no, no. Well, my, <laughs> so my question is that what, what internally and outside of revenue KPIs, do you, do you know, do you have relational, like I'm curious on kind of how you guys judge success or determine success outside of, you know, what Cameron was asking in terms of return of investors with your passion being these communities, what, what are you guys, like, how do you determine success? Do you put KPIs to that? In terms of what your flips actually look like?
2: Yeah, great question. So we spent a lot of time thinking about that. And now we put those on our website. So we think about the number of communities we've changed. We think about the amount of money we've spent on these properties that gets pumped into the community. Cause if you're you're spending $2 million on an apartment complex, you've employed a lot of people in that area, right? A lot of people. And so that's money getting pumped into the community that wasn't wasn't going to get pumped in there before. Um, millions of dollars. Uh, we we talk about lives changed. So we look at number of units we've renovated, how many people have gone into those nicer renovated units and it's still at affordable rate. Um, you know, how many people were in the apartment complexes and now their lives have been drastically improved. We have some video footage we took last week uh, people talking about last six months from before the previous owner and now with us. And it's remarkable the things that happen. Now, that's really feel-good stuff, um, but it's quantifiable in the terms of your loss to lease is lower. Your turnover is far lower because people stay, right?
0: And I'm thinking about a story. Uh, I'm just on your website too, changing lives. It's cool. So you're tracking like $4 million spent on positive change, 21 communities improved, 5,000 residents impacted. That's cool. I like this. Um, I like how you're kind of leading with that too. It's different. Uh, I think I remember a story. We bought a deal in Kansas city and um, you know, ugly deal uh, for sure. A long-term owner, 30 year owner. And so clearly when you have a, an older person, you know, own this deal for a long time, Pretty heavy distressed asset, you know that rents are low, right? And you know yeah. in order to make this deal work, you're gonna have to come in and spend a lot of money and you can not spend money and not raise rents. <laughs> that's a dying, you yeah. that's a dead formula of, of <laughs> how to stay alive, right? Yeah. And so that was our plan. Like we're gonna go spend money and we're going to raise rents. Yep. And um, which is the plan on all real estate, by the way. But I think when you are doing this in more of a community that you know, they're already kind of maybe below the poverty line or there's a, there's a, there's a little less of a margin. It's more focused on, well, what about the people? And so I had a lot of investors worried about that. And I remember saying, listen, we're doing a value to this community. Like it is not being well-run, it's not being well-maintained. Like, trust me on this. Like we're, we're not going to go and just kick people out. We took over this asset first off, like 10 people just left because they were like illegally living there. We yep. had like a property management person like l- running a furniture store out of a unit. So like <laughs> a lot of investors were worried about kicking people out. I'm like, well, next thing, you know, we're all, all already like 80%, you know, we're at 20% <laughs> yeah. vacancy right now. It's like, well, yeah. okay, that, that wasn't an issue. And then we started turning units. And what was so fascinating was that, you know, we would get these units done. They're starting to look really good. We're cleaning up the place. Um and, and, and the people living in the, the plate the property who stayed were actually coming to our leasing office and saying, Hey, when is that renovated unit going to be ready? And when can I move in it? And we're like, well, listen, it's gonna your price your rent's gonna go up three hundred and fifty bucks if you move yeah. in that unit. And they're like, It's okay. Like we just want a nicer place. You know, and yeah. so I think I do think that, you know, there's a um to, to realize we're not you're not, we're not increasing price that doesn't equate to value that people ultimately want. And uh, I think, yeah. I think it's really
2: key. I've seen it a thousand times now, every unit we renovate, a lot of those units get filled with current renters, which is great gives us more units that we can renovate. People want to live in a nicer, cleaner, safer place. They just do. And once they have that sense of community, they don't want to leave the community unless they have to. And so they have friends and, and their lives are, they want to improve their lives. And 350 bucks a month, that's, you know, a few more shifts at work or something. If you need it, they, they may already be, be cash flow positive enough that they can handle that.
0: Yeah. Do you see families move into each, like, do you see like families joining units in your communities or like, you know, to, to maybe make up for that?
2: Oh, Yeah yeah we we've had zero issue filling units across the portfolio we have 1200 or so units they you know so we're still small but i mean so for example south Glen, past six months we filled 60 units we still have a 60 person waiting list of people to get in we take um vouchers we take section eight the key issue that people you know everyone's always focused on section 8, Oh, it's terrible because those people bring cars and junkie and all that stuff. No, it's just governance. The big concern is government is super slow. So rent always comes in late, but it comes in one yeah. big check. So, yeah. you know, it just messes up the accounting a little bit, but it comes, you know, yeah. it comes every time.
1: Yeah. Sam, uh, real quick. I have a question about your your debt service because um, most traditional syndicators especially people who are new in the game trying to figure out you know how to get their foot in the door you know they're in my belief hearing a lot of things of like value add and when they're learning the terminology it's like you need at least one two five debt service so Mm -hmm. if you guys are not even clearing one you know how how are you guys doing that you know how, how i guess selective are your lenders because someone here hearing this may be inspired by your story and have the same heart and like, you know what, I've got a hard take on product like that, but I'm just starting out. And I don't know, like one, how does that dude even, you know, get debt on a deal that can't cover the, just the basis of the debt.
2: Yeah. I will tell you at, at the small, so if you're going to go try and buy an empty apartment complex and you've never done this before, uh, just plan on paying cash, finding debt on an absolutely empty place is Mm. impossible. Um, we were fortunate or blessed to be able to find a uh, folks that were able to give us debt on, you know, one was like 12% occupancy. It was 12% note, which is extremely high. And we were, <laughs> took us like eight or 10 months to, to clear debt service, right. To get to one-to-one and then, you know, trying to finish it off so we can go hit agency level debt, you know, you you just expect it to be difficult. Now, on the flip side, if you're doing an 80%, 180 unit property that fits all those things that will, you can take section eight vouchers and so forth. There are lenders out there who specialize in that stuff and their debt terms are fantastic. And yeah. yeah.
0: And there's, there's a difference too. I mean, to your, your question, um, Cameron is agency bridge, right? There's a lot of bridge products that will uh, base their underwriting on your future revenues, right? So the the 1.25 DSCR requirement is really for agency. And so, you know, there are some bridge lenders that will help you bridge that gap as you stabilize the property to Sam's point. And there are a lot of great competitive lenders out there who uh, will help make that possible. But yeah, I mean, especially if you're a first time borrower, you know, and like you're really distressed asset, like, Probably forget about it. <laughs> you know, yeah. what I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not gonna happen. I mean, I, well, you know, I take that back. I mean, there are hard money. You know, if, if it's a smaller deal, there's some hard money guys that you know will charge a lot because you're they're taking on a lot of risk for that. Uh, so there's stuff out there like that.
2: Um, Partner with somebody who's yeah. doing it until mm-hmm. you've got some under your belt, and then yeah, you can but, go but to I, the lender.
0: I'd also say don't start there though. <laughs> like that would yeah. be my opinion. Right? It's just easier money to be made if that's your goal. But I mean, I know this is a passion product project this is part of who you are to your story for you, Sam. But yeah. I think for someone who's just interested in getting involved in real estate, um, you know, it's a, it's a hard area to start. And, and I think that's what I wanted to kind of wrote, I, I was writing some questions down. Um, you, well, I think, I think I kind of getting the story behind this of you enjoy this, this is tied to your story and what you've like guys called you to. Um, but, Cameron's question Do you recommend other people like what is your sell to get into this? Like, or do you think others should kind of get into this area type of value add real estate investing?
2: Let's talk big picture first. Um, if we we're ever going to solve the affordable housing crisis, we are going to have to go after these older projects where it's a whole lot less money to repair them, put them back into a clean, safe place that's nice um, and affordable. Um, is far easier to do that and it makes more, uh, the numbers work a whole lot better than it does to build brand new 300K a door apartment unit and then try and lease that out for 600 bucks a month. You you can't make the numbers work on that, and so then you need heavy government stipends and and so forth to do that. You can make older products um, very very nice inside. Um, it doesn't have to be granite countertops. It can still be really nice. So wh- that's globally, yeah. We a lot of people need to do this. I I can't do it all by myself. You can't do it. All. Three of us couldn't do it all. If if I had ten billion dollars of real estate, I still wouldn't be able to do it all. There is so much out there and so much opportunity. Now, if you're a, a young person or a new person, young in this game, I would highly recommend you buy assets that cash flow, because if not, you can go into bankruptcy really quickly, um, very fast. And so that's a very hard road to to go down if you're trying to buy um, negative cash flowing assets. And if you're going to do that, come talk to me because you're going to need an excellent business plan and a way to um, execute that business plan. No,
0: I think that's a I think that's a good word. So what is this
2: clean,
0: clean money? So we were talking, You just got a new Instagram tag, clean money. Sam, by the way, if you're not following clean at clean money sam i actually just got i <laughs> went to look at it again and now you're the first post on my feed clean money sam wild million capital is not just focused on return to our investors but it's focused on what impact is felt at the property to our residents and the community wild mountain capital good quote there so clean money sam everyone on instagram he's got 54 followers <laughs> and so Dang. Uh, there one week. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, one <laughs> week though. That's right, man. That's right. 54. You didn't have a week ago. So go and give this guy some love, uh, at clean money, Sam, I even see a, a picture of the kingdom REI community on there. So I love seeing that you speak in, which is cool. So uh guys go check him out at clean money, Sam. So what is, what is that? Like, what are you trying to communicate with this idea of clean money?
2: Yeah. So I like to say that investing matters. Um, How we invest matters. Who we invest with matters. When you invest in the stock market, you have no idea where that money goes. Um, When you buy um, Bitcoin, who mined that Bitcoin, right? Uh Do you ever stop Uh and think where the trail goes? Did it come from Mexico, from a drug cartel that's mining all this stuff and they're making money off of that and they're using it to do hits on families or whatever? You know, you could think you can go down this road of it being just terrible, but honestly, you have no idea. And so to me, clean money is the idea that we can invest in a way that makes a difference, that is socially conscious. So we care about our future. We care about the future of America. And look, that doesn't mean you have to invest in distress assets, right? So when you guys buy apartment complexes, you're not rude, terrible property owners, right? You care about the asset. You want to create a nice community Um, People of from the poorest of the poor to the richest of the rich, we all need to have good people around us. We just simply do. And so to me, clean money is the idea that we can invest in a way that makes a difference, a positive impact on the world, just like clean energy does, has a positive impact on the world, just like clean eating has a a positive impact in the world. It's the idea that clean is that we can do things without all the dirt and grime and filth that comes with it.
0: I mean, yeah, I, mean, I totally agree. So it's it's more so of clean, as in like, pure, like pure. Like this is we can do. We can be capitalistic, and yet be kingdom minded. Absolutely, yeah.
2: You know, I, there's no better mechanism to improve lives of the general populace, populace than capitalism. There just isn't, right. Um, it's been well proven across the world. Now, is is capitalism perfect? No, that's why we have roles in government and everything else. Um, does it always get it right? No, but it, it's the ability for us to improve lives. So, a farmer is improving lives; he's producing the best quality vegetables or fruits he can. He can create great. That's improving lives. I like good quality vegetables, right? You know. So, but in real estate, the idea that you buy a property and spend as little as possible you extract as much money out of the uh, residence as possible you jack the rents. you provide zero value that's kind of like the mantra of a lot of real estate investors out there right i just i saw a guy he's all over youtube and you know linkedin and there he was bragging about how they bought a property at 50k a door raised rents sold it for you know 100k a door 6 months later and you think, man, that's an awesome ROI, but he just screwed a lot of people because <laughs> there's no way he improved their lives. Yeah. In six months. Yeah, I'm probably so, exaggerating here. It's like eight months.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if someone's listening to the show right now, they have a heart to do missions. They they really want to impact people's lives. They they clearly are interested in real estate because they're listening to the show. They want to go bigger though, right? And they're, they they want to go do bigger deals, where does one start sam like in terms of that they want to merge this idea of of clean money or impact investing alongside of real estate you know where do you think in today's environment in today's economy where things are at like where's a good place to begin to really kind of profitably merge those two passions
2: great question um if you want to take this route then Please reach out to, to me and you know, there's a lot we can discuss from locations of these assets to get started until you are profitable and you have a nice nest egg or reserve that you can go into really tertiary markets and use those funds. I know we've talked to Garrett, who's gone in tertiary markets and made a fortune in tertiary markets and gotten free cars too when he buys properties. You know, there's there's ways to do that, but there's certain principles that need to be followed. I look at the world and say, you know, God made principles that we have to follow to succeed at things, right? if you want to have a successful family life, you have to love your wife. You have to treat her with respect and you have to listen or your spouse, right? You have to, those are principles you have to follow. If you don't do those things, you're not going to be successful, period, right? So talk to someone like myself, who's gone through and learned those principles, because once you know the rules of the game, you can succeed and you can win. If you don't know the rules to chess, you're going to lose every time your opponent's going to, you know, dominate. And you have opponents in real estate as nice as everybody is or as most people are and as helpful as people are. You know, you need to learn the game. You need to learn how to succeed and then go do it. You can do it anywhere in America. You can do this in Tulsa, Oklahoma or Perkins, Oklahoma, one of the towns I lived in. There's no apartments there, but there's houses there. You can do this anywhere. Same principles but you have to follow the principles of success. If you don't, you will not be successful.
0: Uh, Sam, where where to, just on that point, uh, where do folks go to maybe connect with you, learn what
2: you offer? Yeah, reach out to me, um, Instagram at cleanmoneysam, LinkedIn, Samuel Sells, uh, my website, wildmountaincapital.com. You can send me an email directly, Sam at wildmountaincapital.com. Always happy to talk with folks about this and and how we should we can change our paradigm and how we invest still make a lot of money doing it but let's just change how we view what we're doing last thing i want to anything you got cameron as
0: well you talked about policies earlier like what instead of just waiting on policies like what policies you know in terms of this idea of affordable housing can we or should we be supporting uh as kingdom real estate investors anything worth kind of noting on this show today of like. Is there things out there, things maybe behind the scenes
2: that you can bring light to that maybe we should be supporting or we should be trying to bring up? Anytime you start looking at affordable housing policy, if there isn't incentives in those policies to help private citizens to improve affordable housing, then that policy needs to be heavily scrutinized. What happens is is that the government controls the whole thing. You're going to get $500,000 toilet seats. And it's not going to be very beneficial. It's not lasting. It's not sustainable. If you want lasting, sustainable policy, it's got to be informed by actual activity on the ground by people who are engaged in it and know how to keep costs low. Private citizens know how to keep costs low because it's coming out of our pocket.
1: Dang, that's wise. Good words, Sam. You're a smart
2: man. <laughs> I've emptied my pockets many times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think that makes sense. I mean, it's just like, you know, going into, I mean, I'm sure you probably learned this in your, you know, ministry in those third world countries is like, you can't be this, you know, like sustainable solutions are not the white man coming in and saving, you know, the, the, right. You know what I'm saying? Like it really has to start with, from within, you know, and, and really giving power just as you use that story of giving power to the people who are present uh, and allowing their creativity and, to really spur those ideas. So I, know, I, th- I think that makes a ton of sense. Uh, well, dude, I enjoyed this, man. What, what do we not cover? Anything else uh, that, that you want to share with, with this community before we get out of here today?
2: I, I just want to share that um, I believe humans are inherently good and that if given an opportunity to do good Um, and they understand that they can do good, they would rather do something that is good and helps other people than do something that is just completely selfish. I hid my light under a bushel for a long time, never shared this. We just wanted to do it all internally because I was just afraid that people would reject that message. But now I'm happy. If If you reject it, fine. But do good. Invest in a way that matters. Invest in a way that's clean. Care about who you're investing with. And how they are using that money.
1: Sam, as you were talking, this came to my mind. I took a picture of it the other day. It's why it's fresh. Uh, I was reading through 1 Peter 3. And 1 Peter 3, uh, 10 through 12 says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are upon their prayers but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So on your note to do good, that's also backed up from the Lord. So pretty good wisdom to
2: follow y'all. Thank you for sharing that. Awesome. That's perfect. What
1: verse was that? That's 1 Peter 3, uh, 10 through 12. Thanks, man.
0: Uh, guys, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, you know, if if you want to get more time with guys like this, no, we we have this is what King this is this is Kingdom Art. Yeah, like we have a mastermind that really supports. If you're like, man, I want to be around more people like this who are thinking, doing deals like this. This is who Kingdom Art supports. We have a mastermind. Go to OneConnectionAway.com and learn about are um we'll do it we'll do another webinar sometime here soon to talk more about that Lo- love to get you more information uh but just know that there are there are other people involved in this doing this already you're not alone uh you don't have to go pave the way guys like sam guys like cameron at the common good Fund, uh myself with symphony right we're we're, we're trying to figure this out and and trying to uh, pave a way so invite you to come join us if you enjoyed this episode take a screenshot wherever you do social media post it if you're on instagram tag at clean money sam you know and <laughs> yes, <so please. laughs> let us know that home you know what you're enjoying about this love your feedback on this and uh we look forward to having you continue to listen guys thanks for your time today i appreciate you joining thank you so much cheers all right hey real estate investors i hope this show has given you permission to go out into the world and crush it in the name of jesus If you want to learn more about our community and locking arms and joining forces with other like-minded investors like yourself, go to thekingdomrei.com to learn more about our mastermind and send an application. We'll see you next week.